You are listening to Feeding the Mouth That Bites You with Ashley Parrish and Jessica Pfeiffer. A weekly podcast guide on parenting teens and launching them into the world. As always, we are joined by psychologist and author, Dr. Ken Wilgus. Hey everyone, and welcome back. On today's episode, we'll be discussing teens and psych hospitals. Well, I tell you, Ashley, I'm not super excited about this episode just because it seems like it's going to be a little hard to hear. (laughs) And and, like, I'd rather talk about happy things. I've worked in psych hospitals. So is it a happy place, Dr. Ken? (laughs) Okay. I I think that would be strong. Happy. A lot of ping pong. But you know, yeah, I think it's a worthwhile conversation because I actually have um, several friends that are dealing with this very thing right now with their teenagers and um, considering their options. And so it is not like it's not happening. So I'd love to stick my head in the sand about all of this and, but there's just no way to do that. I'm glad we're covering it. So Dr. Ken, tell us about, uh, you had an experience at a, at a psych hospital, right? Which, well, That's I've had funny. several. Are you talking about when I worked at <laughs> residential treatment facility? Yes, I was. I was yeah, just yeah. trying to. When I was first married, I was a uh, mental health tech at a psychiatric hospital. It was a long-term residential treatment facility. I worked at, for, at a unit for 16 to 18-year-old boys. And um, that was a long time ago. And it was great. It was good to get to know them and to see how uh, the effect that a kind of a, a schedule and things just calm down when you're at, when you have a, uh, a clear path of what we're doing here. It's almost monastic. If you, if you didn't know better, it really does mm-hmm. kind of calm everything down. So it was, it was good. It was not always calm, but it was definitely the, the setting was helpful for a lot of kids, but that's, that was for long-term residential, not, not most parents are dealing with the potential of hospital. That's not uh, long-term, but maybe short-term. Yeah. Well, just like anything else on this podcast, we want to speak to parents that are facing these issues and just answer some questions they might have, you know, that they're struggling with, that they're thinking about. Um, so we're just going to dive in and, start talking about this, Dr. Ken. And when do we know, when do we know that our teen needs this kind of help? Yeah. And first thing is, this is my own prejudice. Don't call it a mental hospital. We don't okay. have mental hospitals. <laughs> Noted. They're psychiatric facilities. And, mm-hmm. um, but uh, most of the time, the, we talked about this on the episode. I don't remember the number when we talked about suicide, Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the one thing that most parents need to know about a, a potential psychiatric hospital visit is it, that is the answer to what if I am fearful that my teenager is suicidal? Mm-hmm. Um, not uh, let's take the knives out of the kitchen, not uh, you stay in here with us in our bedroom for several nights. Those are kind of silly responses. Mm-hmm. If you really have concern that your teenager is suicidal, then that's when uh, parents need to be thinking about, look, are, basically, we talked about this before, when a kid is really upset, you know, got caught with beer or something, you know, not infrequently in the midst of this tirade, you know, this kid, fine, I'll just kill myself, whatever. Well, pretty much any talk about that, you stop everything and wait, 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 
do you mean that? Are you at risk of harming yourself? Uh, the reason I'm asking is because we may be getting in the car and taking a little trip tonight to, for you to be evaluated. And that trip would be to a, an emergency room, usually at a, a hospital that has an adolescent unit. Uh, even if they don't, they will know what to do and transfer your kid. But, um, you know, so that's that's the first thing is the only for most of us, the only time you really even think about it is when you are. And I mean it seriously concerned about uh, suicide, not he seems kind of down. Let's all drive over to a hospital. No, 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 no. Uh, you know, so uh, that's kind of when you need to be thinking about it. We'll talk a little bit later about residential, which is long term uh, psych hospital type setting, which is almost like a boarding school in a way. And those are for more specific and longer term issues. But the the short term is is that suicidal thing. And those state those stays in hospital are usually less than a week, uh, sometimes a little bit longer. It really depends on how the teenager does in the psych unit. But the goal of psych hospital admission when you're dangerous or at risk is to stabilize, make a plan so that you're not at risk, and then you go. You go out. You step down to day hospital. Day hospital is may still meet in the same place, but you're not staying overnight. You don't need to be paying. It's very expensive. So, mm -hmm. so that's, I get, I don't, is that news to you? Did you know that, that that's really the thing that, you know, when the issue of psych hospital comes up, uh, it's most of the time because it's the answer to, well, you know, she keeps saying that she's, I, we're worried that she's really suicidal. So, you know, what mm -hmm. do we do? Well, I find a lot of parents are really embarrassed or upset about the situation and they try to handle it for too long on their own, maybe? Do you feel I, like yeah. that's the case that I they think, think oh, true. well, I'm just going to, like you said, take the knives out of the kitchen. I'm going to watch her like a hawk. We're going to do this, that. And and I think sometimes we need to just call in help when we need it. Yeah, so, that's, yeah, I think that's right. That's kind of like many situations where parents without even realizing subconsciously still think you're dealing with a child, you mm -hmm. know, like, well, we'll just make sure that she can't get to a knife. Are you out of your mind? They're 15. And that's mm -hmm. not, it, this is more serious than that. Right. I think Dr. Ken parents struggle more with knowing what to do when it's more of a mental disorder or a behavioral issue or an addiction. Like when is the time? Like, how do you know, do you just get fed up and you're like, okay, we've tried everything. We're taking you to a facility now. Can well, they kind of check their kids in. Yeah, that's a, that gets to that point where I've had the occasional teenagers say, well, my dad, usually dads, no offense, but uh, just said, we're just going to send you to a mental hospital. And yeah. my answer is always laugh. I always laugh and say, your parents cannot send you to a mental hospital. You, it, it's a very expensive. So you have to get it cleared through insurance and B that will have to be through a psychologist or psychiatrist. Uh, and even when I have sent a, you know, a kid over to a psych unit, uh, there's always the initial evaluation that's done often by a psych resident. But yeah, there's quite the gatekeeping. You don't just throw your kid to these uh, facilities. That goes in the category. We, I think we talked about when do you kick your kid out of the house? There's a, a litany of threats that some parents make that you need to stop because you look silly. You can't send your kid to a hospital. That's that's not going to happen. Um, and certainly not because you're fed up. 
usually it's because you're in an appropriate way uh, fearful that there's a danger here and, you know, we can't make sure this is okay. And so that's the time that you have to make that decision. So the first step isn't trying to admit them to a facility. It would be reaching out to a psychologist and that's right. An appointment. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then the psychologist really works with the parents to kind of come up with a game plan. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. So these are, um, you have to, uh, most insurance, they'll, they'll talk about, um, least restrictive environment. So, you know, when you have, um, a depressed teenager, uh, you you expect to utilize uh, therapy, family therapy, uh, even medication if it's severe. Uh, they want to know: Did you try all these other things before? You know this sort of last resort of restricting them like that, which is the way it should be. So yeah, it, it's you start with uh, therapy and uh, you know that kind of thing. And if if it's something that you uh, begin to worry about, like, well, he said before, he's not now, but he did say before about suicide. That's probably a good idea to have an evaluation from a therapist. If nothing else, then you have your re- relationship with mm-hmm. that therapist that, you know, if something does occur, you know who to call. What do we do now? Um, uh, so that, that that gatekeeping goes a little quicker. Mm-hmm. What if your kid doesn't want to go to either therapy or, you know, if they've said something about suicide that concerns you and they don't want to go to the hospital. Can you stick them in the car and make them go? Do you, what do you do if it's a situation that you're concerned about? Yeah, that's an extreme um, example of, you know, in the book, we talk about, you're not a policeman, you're a judge. And you have to be really clear in that case, um, you're not going to be making your kid do anything. You're certainly Mm -hmm. not going to get them. So with therapy, we've talked before about um, I'm not going to a therapist. It, it, again, number one, it's easier to get a kid into therapy if you actually say it's because you said you wanted to die the other day. Remember? Remember when you said that? That's why you have to go. Believe it or not, that's actually easier for a teenager to face than, well, it's just, we just think it'd be good for you. And it's good to talk to people. Softening it up never helps teenagers. It's you, you know, It's because of this thing you did or said. And number two, well, I'm not going to go. Well, you have to go, but you don't have to say anything. And, um, you know, good therapists, we're, we're, if we're good at anything, it's that. You can, mm-hmm. uh, when teenagers came to see me, it was um, none of them, very few of them wanted to be there, but very few of them didn't want to come back. So you got to go, but you don't have to say anything. Um, in a situation where they're in danger and they've said, uh, I'm going to at risk to myself and I'm not going anywhere. Uh, you know, you can't take me to the hospital in those circumstances. Number one, it's really important to calm everything down. Those are not situations that you want to be uh, escalating into increasing dramatic statements of I'm going to make you get in the car and all everything needs to just slow down. So we'll come back and talk about this a half an hour. Let's all just stay, you know, uh, calm. And then in those cases, you really want to be thinking about what are, as a judge, what are the options? We can either go now to the hospital or, uh, well, actually, one of the easiest things to do is to, um, uh, this is so rare, we don't, most parents don't need to know this, but if you really are needing to get this teenager to a hospital to be evaluated, um, one of the better things that people don't think about is who is another adult not in your family that this teenager respects? 
and would not want to make a huge drama thing out of, see if that adult will come over and drive over with us. Uh, that we uh, just and and you can also remind the teenager it's just for an evaluation. We're not putting you in. We can't say that, but you are saying these things that are scary and dangerous. So you have to go with us and you know have uncle so and so or that teacher that we know and or someone from church that the teenager respects and will not make an overly dramatic scene uh, but then you just drive over there but again mm -hmm. the we got to make them go the last resort is actually calling uh, law enforcement and that's i have i have all respect for law enforcement when that but when they're actually being required to help with family stuff and uh, it it's just the you can't expect them to be really subtle about those kind of things. So look mm -hmm. for lots of ways to, uh, you know, step one, make sure you are really serious about this, where you're going to have to go for an evaluation. Uh, step two is to be real clear about what the uh, options are. Then if you do, it'll be this. If you don't, it'll be that. Uh, and think about bringing someone else along that would make it easier. Dr. Kim, once they're admitted, what's the role of parents? Yeah. So in a regular hospital setting, um, there's pretty commonly, um, you know, a kind of a period where there's not a ton of parent involvement for the day, first day or two, because the whole point is to really kind of calm everything down and evaluate the teenager for their, basically their safety and so forth. Um, and in most hospital, uh, you know, they'll, they'll definitely be a therapist that's going to contact the parents and uh, they'll do some work with the parents and the kid, you know, you come up and see them. Um, that becomes much more uh, relevant when a, a kid is in residential treatment. So residential is different. That's not an answer to suicidal. Residential is usually talked about first uh, for addiction, uh, continued drug and alcohol addiction. Um, those are it's situations where getting out of the environment is essential. And so drug addiction uh, treatment used to be 60 days, but we've discovered more and more that really 90 is more, more the minimum to really impact things. Um, mm -hmm. But in those cases, you actually benefit from being away from uh, the social setting you were in, even away from family. And in those cases, you'll absolutely have family therapy is a pretty regular part of that. You know, if it's uh, even far away from where you live, you'll have to think about traveling there because they will want family involvement, um, working through. So the plan of, uh, you know, what, how will this re-engage back in your family? Those kind of things. Um, the, the long-term residential treatment comes from uh, being really out of control. Uh, again, least restrictive environment means that uh, you really don't go that route. And I'm talking nine months to a year type residential treatment. That's only, um, considered when you're kind of looking at either that or incarceration, uh, those kind of things, which is pretty serious stuff. Mm -hmm. And for parents making that decision, I'm sure it's difficult thinking my kid isn't going to be away from our family for nine months to a year. That's a lot of, you know, losing time with them as teenagers. That's right. And I'm sure also, you know, are, is this facility going to fill up my kid in a way, particularly for Christian parents, that's like, are they going to be spiritually fed here where it's not just a behavioral issue, but a spiritual issue that's also addressed? And I know a lot of parents are concerned about that sort of 
situation too. Yeah, that becomes harder in the last five years. Um, you know, it used to be that you could think about even short-term psychiatric treatment. Um, it was really, you know, whether it was a Christian facility or not, they were going to be working on just depression and uh, suicidality and so forth. With the uh, sudden onset of this kind of woke ideology, uh, I think you really do need to be careful in investigating uh, the ideology of the place that you're sending a kid to. Um, uh, and But there are good facilities there that are, you know, Christian-based, and um, I'm not talking about that, you know, the treatment is a, is a bunch of Bible memory, uh, but it is not introducing what, you know, most Orthodox Christians consider a, an, a, an alternative religion, uh, kind of a self, selfism is not, you know, so you, you, if you're careful, you can definitely find those places. Um, but at the same time, um, those are the kind of situations where when you're looking at um, uh, long-term, uh, it is heartbreaking to think about, well, what about the role that we wanted to play and so forth? I find parents fewer parents make that threat empty like they used to. That's an old school thing. I'm just going to send you off to a hospital. More parents, believe it or not, kind of hang on too long that mm -hmm. actually because yeah. of that heartbreaking, I, I, you know, we're still trying to help out. Uh, she's been gone the last, uh, you know, three out of three nights a week. We don't know where she is. We do find drug paraphernalia. You know, you're, you're getting quickly to my little speech about, you know, there's, there's some real basics that if you can't, uh, have these assurances, then uh, you really need to think about what's even going to be protective of the other kids in the house. Uh, so number one, you need to basically be able to know where your kid is. If you constantly, uh, I don't mean sneaking out occasionally or going where they shouldn't go. I mean, um, he never says where he's going or he's often gone overnight. And we don't know where he is. You're, you're quickly at the, maybe they can't live there at your house. If you can't have relative assurance of where they are. Secondly, they need to be, uh, you need to be able to have relative assurance that they're not, uh, doing drugs regularly in and around the house. Like that's an easy, uh, basic recommendation. If you can't, get re even relative assurance that that's not happening on a constant basis, then you need to think about residential. And the third is school. Like if you cannot get them to go to school, the constantly cutting school uh, can't guarantee that they're even going to be at school. Then you also, you know, need, so it's, it's usually two or three of those that make that decision for you. And when you hang on too long, what ends up happening is a kind of a, um, Fear that, you know, if I, I just don't want to set off, you know, their anger and so forth. So you start backing away from basic re requirements, uh, you know, things you would never have allowed. They're cussing you out. Uh, you know, they're punching hole in the wall. And we're we're now not requiring chores. We're not pushing. And the next thing you know, if you have other kids in the house, you know, it, you've lost track of uh, what what are we trying to do here and just trying to keep this sort of volatile monster under control, then you've lost your parenting uh, skill and you need to rethink what kind of setting you can do. That's what I thought when I think of these parents that have teens that are 16, 17, 18 years old, you know, they're still in high school, they're at home, but they've gotten out of control. And these parents are kind of caught in this web of 
you know, they're, they're still in high school age, yep. you know, yep. but they're not going to high school or they are not, they're not coming home. Right. And so legally the, the parents are responsible for their teen, but the teens are making these choices and the parents really don't have any control. That's right. And so they're just in this web of, you know, um, they want better for their teen. They physically can't control them, which they need to remember still they're legally, they're still held responsible for them. And so it's just this mess that I just, my heart breaks for those parents. And so what, where, where is the end of their control as parents? At what point do these teens have to face the responsibilities of their own actions? Like, what is your advice to those parents, Dr. Ken? Well, if you're doing it right, then as we've already mentioned, you have a psychologist or psychiatrist, you know, professional in working with you on that so that you're not just making the decision uh, yourself that someone else, because again, you know, it, most parents have only done this once or three times or whatever, you know, people like me have done it a thousand times. We've been through this over and over. And so knowing what is the difference between some sneaking out that's getting bad versus out of control, you really need to have a professional, you know, kind of evaluating that. Um, And then in those, in those cases, um, sometimes what some parents need to know is that uh, what about just sending them off to a military school? Mm. Well, uh, you know, I, I always remember I had a kid sent off to military school. He was there for, I think it was less than a month. He drank half a bottle of cough syrup and they sent him home. So <laughs> the, you know, the, the idea of there's this sort of boot campy place where they're going to, yeah. you know, do no, 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 no. That's not the world anymore. Um, you, we don't rough up our teenagers in scary, angry ways, or you get shut down. So uh, a, a military school is a really good environment for kids that want that kind of, you know, the advantage advantages that it has. But sending them there for discipline is very difficult now because it's the place that you can quote send that out of control kid to that they can't, they're not allowed to leave. That's a residential treatment facility. It's not, okay. uh, you know, military school. Well, that was my next question is what if they go and they don't want to be there anymore and they want to check themselves out? Are they allowed to, or yeah, is there a certain age? Well, that's a good point in most. In, in, so we're, we're in the United States. And so 48 out of the 50 States, um, last I checked, they can sign themselves out at the age of 17. Uh, and parents need to know that you know, a lot of times, you know, if the kid is 16 and a half years old and we're thinking about a year of treatment, you know, to first think about, well, what do you do after they're 17? They can sign themselves out. That's also when, though, you get very extreme judge, not policemen. Uh, you can let them know your options. Uh, you know, you can um, either if you can keep it together, then, you know, we'll, I've had some parents send a kid to a military school because they really weren't, you know, we still believe they had impulse control and could manage it, but they just needed to. And it's like, if you make it at this place, then you, then that's great. But if you don't make it at the military school, you're not coming home. You'll be going to a residential place. So you can kind of use that sort of uh, bargaining, you know, as, as needed as, as a way of kind of, again, making sure that the teenager knows what their options really are um, and so forth. So um, military school can be back on the table uh, when it comes to, um, you know, that teenager that really needs to get the message that uh, you need to handle yourself 
and if you do, then you can go upward from here. But if you don't, you'll go down from here. You're not going to come back home. These facilities, Dr. Ken, you've mentioned um, insurance and the expense of them. Are there facilities for people who don't have insurance or maybe a low income? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm not a great person to answer that. I think there are, uh, you know, in, in our area, I know of some uh, church um, funds uh, for, a, you know, certain denominations that have that kind of uh, funding. Uh, mm -hmm. The general answer is no, these things are incredibly expensive just for most everybody. And uh, insurance companies have gotten uh, not unreasonably more and more careful about what they're shelling out for. You know, what are we going to get out of this? Um, so it's, it is a tough option uh, for most parents. Uh, there's not, uh, and I think the, the resources to get that, I think there are out there, but uh, I'm actually not, that's something Dr. Ken don't know that well anymore. Not, not after mm -hmm. Did I just stump Last you? 10 years. You st does this count? <laughs> does I think, it? What is the prize for stumping? I think you I don't get know, five but bucks. I feel like there should be like confetti cannons. Something and should like go off. Siren. <laughs> Fine. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's we'll right. Just bring some lightheartedness to this subject. But there are, no, that's true. <laughs> Such a depressing subject. But um, yeah, there are definitely funds and so forth um, if you look hard. So um, don't let that stop you. Is that's that right. that's right? Okay. But if you're you if your teen needs it, then don't let don't let that stop you. One can... of the many things that a good church, I think, can be should mm -hmm. could and should be helpful with resources, uh, helping people connect that kind of thing. Um, those that are not Christians, other resources. Uh, I've known synagogues that did a really good job. Uh, small towns sometimes. You just know more people when you're alone mm -hmm. and trying to Google everything and that's all you got. Yeah. It's, it's not bad, but these are examples of that ain't good either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We well, need Dr. our Can community. Give yeah. us some advice. Let's say we're not going through this with our team, but our best friend is, or our neighbor is, or someone in our church is. How can we support them? That's, it varies. I think most of the time, um, just don't be a jerk. Well, <laughs> well, I'll, I mean, one example of that is is the, you know, when you may be seeing something that's a real blind spot for this parent that they're, you know, you're like, your kid is scary and dangerous and you're still talking about maybe we should hug more. Like, you know, that that's where you're tempted that what may be a jerk, but, you know, you're tempted to be, I got to be a truth teller in this parent's life. Well, We've said many times before, you really need to examine your relationship to that parent, knowing yeah. what is thinking, you know, what's best for them, because you've got a secret podcast like this that tells you all the new inside. Ins it, it doesn't mean that you need to be telling them that, it, you know, most of the time you show and increase your love for them and, and really demonstrate that uh, you get it, that it's tough. It's really tough. The other thing is to keep in mind, and I think most parents know this by now that uh, when you see a teenager that is really out of control and parents are having to really consider that, uh, many times they're very suspicious or worried that people will judge them. And you need to make sure you're not actually judging them. Most of the time, parents are actually worrying about judgment that no one's thinking that but them. But there is occasionally someone that's like, 
well, they must have done something or why is this kid doing this? No, I can tell you over and over again, I have worked with great people, good Christian people, if you will. Being mm -hmm. Christian doesn't make you good either, but um, good people. And for various reasons, teenagers who are not children can make decisions that take them way off the rails. And yeah. so much of that may be just encouraging them that, you know, hey, none of us blame you for this. We are praying for you and sad with you. Uh, yeah. But, you know, you may very often find a parent that is mostly dealing with shame. I don't want to talk to you about it. I don't want anyone to know as if this is all about them. And you know that we all kind of struggle with that feeling that my kid's outcome is all about me. Mm -hmm. Right. I like what you just said, Dr. Ken, most of the time, what they need is for us to say, Hey, we love you. We're supporting you. And we're praying for your family and all of this, because yeah, as a parent, you feel like your kids' problems are often your own. There must be something that I did that caused this or some experience that I didn't I didn't know about or whatever. Right. You blame yourself in some way. And to to let a parent know that you're just praying for them and you're there for their family is often the most valuable the, part. And, that and just was, not talking bad about them behind their back. Well, exactly. Mm -hmm. And you know, with that uh, sort of quote prayer chain uh, that we're you know putting them on as a gossip <laughs> oh, thing. When I, but, gossip yeah. chain. But, you know, that was one of the early, uh, I know we're out of time, but I, that was one of the early <clears throat> formative experiences I had was when I was working with these residential treatment kids you know, the first thing I discovered is these are cool guys. I mean, I like mm -hmm. them uh, and I could see what their struggles were. And I developed without realizing it, this kind of thought of what kind of parents did these guys have? They, they must be horrible people because, and then parents day came and these really good people came to visit their kid. They loved their kid. And I, and it, I remember that swift adjustment in my attitude of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not that simple. There's not good people and bad people. The line yes. between good and bad runs right down the middle of each of us. And um, it's, it's not that simple. So very often, it's just a matter of supporting the parent that's going through uh, whatever that intense struggle is and feeling confident that I, I don't know what you did or should do. I'm just here because I'm, I'm with you and support you and love you. Yeah, I love that. Well, Thank you, Dr. Ken. And thank you, Ashley. I know that this isn't, you know, the lightest topic to cover. And I know that we all feel a little heavy hearted about people that we know who have struggled with this, or maybe in our own family, we're questioning if this is the next step for our family. And um, so I appreciate your advice, Dr. Ken. And thank you, Ashley, for some great questions. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us today. Hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. Also, leave us a review. This is how other listeners find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Feeding the Mouth. We appreciate you and would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas about what we've discussed today, please email us at podcast at feedingthemouth.com. 